All right. How you guys doing? Good. Good song. Very good song. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So uh, it's good to be here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak. Um, and uh, it's, it's cool to be the first non-pastor to speak in the new uh, auditorium. It, it proves something that we've all kind of suspected for a while. And that's that God loves me a little bit more than the rest of you. So it's okay. It's a burden I'm willing to bear. We'll all get through it together. Um, when uh, I was asked to speak, you know, I, I know uh, one of the other guys was saying how he didn't really see himself as an older guy. And, you know, I'm, uh, I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, I'll be 42 next month. And she goes, no, Jeremy, you'll be 43. And it's like, oh, I'm so old. I lost a year. I, yeah, I don't, so, yeah, it was really no surprise that I was in that group. Uh, you know, it just, it happens. It sneaks up on you. Um, I think one thing that all men sort of bear in common uh, as we get older with Samson, you know, is like, we may not all, none of, we may not kill Philistines or have long hair or be betrayed by a woman, but every one of us have tried to use our strength and found it gone and then looked up to God and said, when did it leave? Uh, you know, uh, it's definitely been that way for me uh, recently, for sure. So uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. We'll stop there. So uh, tonight my topic is to, to be grave. What does it mean to be grave? Um, I'm going to focus tonight's message in the context of relationships, and I'm going to speak uh, specifically to young men in light of being a good husband. And uh, you might wonder why. Well, because as I was thinking about this and praying about this and, and thinking about it like, you know, what would I have liked to have heard when I was that age, you know? But not only that, I was thinking, how would I have liked to have heard it? Um, and so I'll be honest, uh, tonight I'm going to be a bit frank, uh, and some might even say mean. Um, and so uh, you might think to yourself, well, wait a minute, why would you be mean? Well, because I think there's something about being a man where we respond to mean. You ever have a coach who got up in your face and yelled at you, and you had this desire inside you to push back a little bit? That's what being a man is. Because life pushes against you all the time, and you are supposed to push back. And so if I come across as mean or frank tonight, I apologize in advance. All I can tell you is, is that it's because I think you're strong enough. Um, if you go home tonight and you cry yourself to sleep and you wet your bed with your tears and you wipe your face on your pillow case, all I can tell you is, is that I thought you were stronger than you thought you were. So imagine for a moment that you're walking along an isolated, deserted beach and you come across this thick rose bush. It's full of branches, leaves, and blossoms. But just down the way from the rose bush, there's a massive boulder with a large outcropping. I'm not going to get much into an introduction today. I'm just going to say that there are two types of men in the world today. There are boulders and there are rose bushes. Um, and which one does God want us to be? One is much better to look at for sure. The world tells us that the rose bush is better to look at. The rock, I mean, no, you know, it's ugly. It's 
worn down by the weather. You know, I mean, uh, nobody would take a selfie in front of a giant rock, you know. Um, so the world tells us that the rose bush is lovely for sure. But I picked this metaphor because I have a few years on my belt, under my belt now, and looking back at my life, I realize now that what God wanted from me was to be a boulder and not a rosebush. Because the reality is the people in my life needed strength and security that only a boulder can provide. Because when there are storms in life, and let me tell you something, young man, there are always going to be storms in life. You don't seek shelter and comfort in a rosebush. You hide behind a rock. It is the boulder that blocks the rain and the wind, that provides the shelter, that gives you something to hold on to, to anchor yourself to, when there are hurricanes. Now, I am not saying you are a replacement for God in the life of your wife and children. I am saying, though, that from an earthly perspective, they need to be able to anchor themselves to you. They need to be able to count on you. Your wife will need you to stand firm and block the wind and rain and to shelter her. She will need you to endure storms, to shelter her and give her rest when she is too weak to do it. Your children will need your strength to rely on. So when life's winds blow, they can hold on to you and know you won't move. That an ever-changing world, uh, in an ever-changing world, you'll be there for them, no matter how the storms might howl or the waves might crash. But I'm afraid that we as a church, as a nation, as a world, aren't producing men who are boulders. Instead, we are producing rose bushes. Men who preen and prance and flourish their feathers like a proud peacock, but there is no substance to them. And let me tell you something, young man, the storms are coming. You cannot possibly look at the world today and not think the storms aren't coming. I mean, I am, it is difficult for me, a natural born pessimist, to sometimes look at the world and not look at my children and think, what am I leaving to you? You are going to face stuff, young men, that even pastor, myself, Joe, none of us ever even imagined. And what I'm afraid is, is that the world has made you so comfortable that life is going to hit you so hard, you're not even going to know what's coming. The older I've got, the more I've come to realize that my wife and kids, what they need from me is the rugged strength and shelter provided by the ugly boulder and not the beauty and novelty of a rosebush. So which one are you, young man, a rosebush or a boulder? So what is grave? As far as I can tell, the Bible only uses the word grave this way three times in all the Bible. It's here in Titus and twice in 1 Timothy 3 in verses 8 and 11 where it talks about deacons. It says that deacons must be grave and it says that deacons' wives must be grave. In truth, the word itself, though, gives us some insight into the meaning, doesn't it? Grave means having to do with life and death. Think about what it means to walk the graves of the dead in a cemetery. Think about it for a moment. Let's say you were in a place like Arlington, and hopefully you know what Arlington is. You walk across the graves of fallen soldiers. You wouldn't treat those headstones flippantly. You'd walk with a respectful air. You'd treat the grounds with respect. You wouldn't be loud and obnoxious. You wouldn't throw frisbees with your friends. Not because the dead can hear you, but you carry yourself with a reverent manner out of respect for the men and women buried there and their loved ones who might be there to pay respect to their loved ones. I've never served in the military and I wouldn't behave like a hooligan there. 
But that doesn't mean you spend all your life, every moment of life, walking with your bowed head, talking in hushed tones. But it does mean that you understand there are times in life that are so serious. You need to pay attention, shut your mouth, and really look at what's going on around you. And that's what it means to be grave. Therefore, the word itself gives it some insight. The dictionary defines the word grave, when it's used as an adjective, as meriting serious consideration, important as in grave problems, or likely to produce great harm or danger, as in a grave mistake, having serious and dignified quality or demeanor, as in a grave look. It might seem like somewhat of a downer of a topic, having to do with all this grim death and whatnot. And so does it mean that the Bible is telling us to be dark, depressed people? Of course not. We don't really use the word grave very much anymore, do we? The word we'd probably use, the closest word, would be mature. That's probably the closest word we'd use would be mature. In a way, you can think of grave or mature like a capstone on a retaining wall. Now, some of you guys probably don't know what a retaining wall is, and that's because you grew up in homes where your parents thought to teach you to be princes and not soldiers. You don't know what it's like to work on something so physically taxing as a retaining wall. But a retaining wall, you take these big blocks and you put them all together. And then you take a different block, a capstone, and it ties and it pulls the seams together along the top. And that's what being grave is. Because in reality, being grave or mature is sort of a final piece of a puzzle and it encapsulates all the others. Because the reality is you can't be grave or mature if you're not sober. It's impossible. You can't be grave or mature. You'll never have the discernment necessary to be grave if you aren't sound in faith and strong doctrinally. You'll never have the calmness of mind necessary to be grave if you aren't sound in patience and control of your passions and emotions. So tonight I'm going to use grave, gravity, mature somewhat interchangeably. Let me ask you tonight, both young and older men alike, are you grave? Are you mature? If you immediately said yes without really considering it, I would say you missed the point already. Because to be mature, to be a grave man, has little to do, little to nothing to do with your age. Simply being old does not make you mature, nor does it make you grave. And at the same time, being young doesn't make you immature. So I'll ask you again, are you a grave man? Are you mature? So what does it mean for a man to be grave? Does it mean he never laughs, he never tells a joke? Of course not. Uh, Does it mean he doesn't enjoy life? Of course not. In a way, it's ironic, I feel like, that I was picked to do this because usually I feel like I'm the least mature guy in any room. Yeah, Joe said amen there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The thing about this is, is that at first glance, this might seem like a rather complex topic, but in reality, so much of the topic reveals itself by just understanding the words. And that's really about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Young man, if I were you, I would highly recommend you underline these verses in this verse that we're going to read tonight in your Bible. But you can only do so if you're willing to take some excuses away from yourself. Now, if you want to keep a hold of the excuses, I advise you not to underline the verse in your Bible. Verse number 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You notice the things that he talks about that he put away? They weren't toys. 
They weren't clothes. What were they? They were character attributes. And there were three listed. What were they? First, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. And I thought as a child. Now, tonight, I'm, we're going to talk about this for a few minutes. I want us to really think about ways that child, children speak, think, and understand. And I want us to do it honestly. Now, um, a lot of times, I'm pretty critical of men. And I do, I'm critical of men because I think as men, we really give ourselves an out a lot of times. And we probably should be a lot harder on ourselves than we usually are. Tonight, I'm going to be a little bit harder on women. And not because my wife's not here. I really don't care. She can hear this. She's heard me say it dozens of times, believe me. So when we're going to talk about how children behave, we're not going to talk about children in the way that women describe children. We're going to describe children like children really are. Okay? That means that we're going to, when we talk about children, we're not going to look at them like, oh, children are just, they're just amazing all the time. Yes, little Bobby, he threw a giant temper tantrum in Kroger. He was completely embarrassing. I put it on Facebook so everyone could see. And we all had so much fun laughing about it. You know what a man describes that as? Insanity. So think about ways in which children speak. I'm sure I'm not the only person here who's ever gotten to an argument with your wife on the way to church. And then your young child tells your, their Sunday school teacher about it on Sunday morning. You know why? Because children have no discretion. They don't know when to keep secrets, right? Uh, I remember my nephew once, my uh, brother-in-law, he, uh, a friend of his who happens to be a guy, he had made some homemade fudge. I don't understand it either, but there it is. And so he brings it to my brother-in-law. Well, my brother-in-law is kind of like not a nice person. So he just took it to work and gave it away. And his son went right to that guy and said, my dad gave all your fudge away, right? You know, because kids have no discretion. Now, I know no woman would ever say this because they would just say kids are amazing. Everything they do is amazing. No, they're not. Kids are terrible. <laughs> Children lack discernment and they don't know how to speak and they don't know how to, when to be quiet. It's part of being a kid. I was like that. You were like that. I'm still like that. And you're probably still like that. But right Children lack understanding to know how damaging lies can be. You know, they make things up. They lie to get out of trouble, even when it's obvious they've been caught. You ever catch a kid, like, got chocolate on their face? No, I didn't eat that brownie. Like, Dude, look at your face. You know, this is the world's worst lie. Doesn't matter. A kid will stick to that story, won't they? James 1.6 says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he, uh, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Do you speak as a child? James chapter 3, verse number 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. James three thirteen. Who is a wise, uh, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Children don't know how to control their mouths. Men do. And Paul says, when I spake as a child, I was a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. A real man, a mature man, 
A man who possesses a grave spirit is one who does not speak like a child. He is honest in his conversation. He is straightforward. And most of all, knows when to shut up. The second part of that was understood as a child. You ever think about how children understand situations? I remember when we were passing out um, flyers one year for church, one of my daughters who, uh, you know, this particular daughter, I won't say her name because I wouldn't want to embarrass her. uh, She was the type who just, she never thought there would ever be a bad outcome to anything. And I remember there's this black suburban driving down the street and I'm looking up the block and I see some guy hang out the window, calls to my daughter. And my daughter comes walking over to him with a flyer, right? And he's reaching out the car. I'm like 100 feet away. And I'm yelling at her, what are you doing? You know, have you lost your mind? I talked to her later and she's like, I was giving him a track, dad. And I'm like, I don't care about that man's soul. Are you crazy? Because children don't understand situations, do they? That's why they play in the street. They are dumb. They need adults to tell them. This giant object that is moving way faster than you will smash you and kill you. Don't play in the street. Kids don't understand situations, do they? I'm not talking about being mean here. But I am saying that as a, as a person, we need to understand and define these things realistically because only by doing so can we compare our own actions and line them up. Go to Proverbs 14.8. Proverbs 14.8. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent man is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The mature man is a man of understanding and discernment. He applies himself to understand his way, to look at where he is going and ask himself, Is this where I should be going? Am I where I should be? Am I with who I should be with? The mature man also understands that all men, all men, all males have some weaknesses. All of us. Go to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Because we're talking about understanding as a child. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 21. With her much With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. This is the strange woman who speaks flattering words to the young man who doesn't understand like a man what he's dealing with. He is playing with a live grenade and he doesn't realize it because in his pride and arrogance, he thinks, I'll be the one who can touch hot coals and not get burned. I'll be the one. But the mature man says, no, the Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Nope, I am no better than anyone else. I am going to avoid those hot coals. That is to understand as a man. Go back a few uh, uh, to uh, Proverbs 7. I'm sorry, it's still in in 7, 27. Because if the young man knew this, he would have run screaming from the woman. Look at how the Bible defines and describes this woman in 27. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. That guy's thinking, hey, this girl, she's telling me I'm a great dude. Oh, man, it's great listening to this beautiful woman tell me these things. And the Bible says, no, her way 
is the way to hell. Her chambers lead only to death. But that young man says, nah, I'll be the guy who can get away with it. Because he understands as a child, not as a man. The mature man also recognizes that he has weaknesses specific to himself as an individual. Some things about each of us individually make us unique. Years ago, when I was debating on stepping down as a deacon, my pastor, Pastor Wally, talked to me and he said, I'm concerned for you that you're going to begin to isolate yourself from good men. Now, you know what I was like? I was like, praise Lord Jesus, thank you for talking to me. So frankly, pastor, I appreciate your wisdom and insight. No, but you know what I realized was Pastor Wally recognized something in me before I recognized it in me. And that is that there is something unique about me, something I struggle with, where I tend to isolate myself sometimes from people. And as a friend and a pastor, he was telling me, be careful for this. Be careful. Do you know weaknesses in your life that are distinctly you? Some weaknesses you have just because you're a man. And some you have because you're you. And that's part of understanding as a man. Last part of that, he says, I thought as a child. Consider for a moment the way you would describe the behavior of a child. We would define this as their behavior because we don't know how children think. We only know how they act. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. So how would you describe the actions of a child? Now again... I'm not being mean. I'm just going to describe children as a man would. Because what's the point in lying about it? Children tend to be selfish. Have you noticed? Self-centered. They place themselves first in all things. Uh, They tend to be out of control. They can't control their emotions, their attitude, their hunger. They're emotional. They throw temper tantrums. They pout when they don't get their way. They're dependent. They're needy. They need someone to do everything for them. They're self-absorbed. They don't consider anyone other than themselves. Mom can be completely exhausted and the child can still cry and fuss, can't they? They don't plan or consider the future. They make short-term decisions. They don't choose what's best for them in the long run in terms of relationships, food, sleep, nothing. I mean, how many babies came out of the womb knowing they got to get a good night's sleep? Zero, right? You know? They demand their way, their wants. They don't listen They don't listen to input. They don't play well with others. They hoard possessions. They take things from other people. This is what it means to think like a child because our thoughts are a direct correlation to our actions. And frankly, these attributes describe a lot of men today and not just toddlers and children. So I really only have one point tonight, just one. Here it is, ready? Grow up. That's it. We can go. I'm just kidding. Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, that there is no middle ground between childhood and adulthood. Now, we live in a culture that tells you, oh, you're a teenager. Do this, do that. You know, teenagers think, well, I shouldn't have to work right now because, you know, I'm doing this in school. Right? Yeah. Never mind that your grandparents worked when they were 13 years old. Now, but not you. You shouldn't have to. Right? I mean, no, you know, not to mention the fact that a lot of your grandparents or your parents, they would do something archaic like push mow a yard. And now you're like, man, if I don't have a riding mower, I ain't mowing that grass. Hmm. 
It's a pity. Let me ask you a question. Do the things that I said that describe the behavior of, the ch of a child, do they describe you? What would you call this immaturity? This world is now full of men who are only men in the legal sense that they are over 18 years of age. But in reality, they are child men. They are children walking around in a man's body. That's not like a man walking around in a woman's body or a woman walking around in a man's body or a cat in a man's body or any of the other nonsense we've got. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Let's see what Jesus says about being a leader. See, these immature men, they take their position, their God-given position as the head of their home, and they use it as an excuse to make their own life easy. And there are very few things in this world that will spoil the heart of a woman like a man doing that. I'll say that again. There are very few things in this world that will spoil the heart of a woman than a man doing that. I know men who will gladly talk about that. They prayed about something. And you know what happens when they pray about something? It always seems to line up with exactly what they wanted to do anyway. And I think, then God, I must be calling a different line when I speak to God because he's almost always telling me that I need to do something I don't want to do. How is that possible? Look at what Matthew chapter 23 says, verse number 10. I apologize for the state of my voice. I've had bronchitis for like six, seven weeks now. Um, Neither be ye called master, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall what? Shall lord it over you? Shall make sure that everybody serves him? Or shall be your servant? It puts a lot in perspective about how men see their homes and when you see their behavior in their home in comparison to their wife and children. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that part of our calling as men is to provide for our wives and children by the sweat of our brow. It's why you are physically made the way that you are, young man, for two purposes. You are built to protect and to provide for your family. Your body is literally built for two things, fighting and work. You have a greater bone density. You have a better ability to process oxygen. You have higher metabolism. You, you contain more muscle mass. You can run faster. You can jump higher. Your body can sustain way more damage than a woman's body can, although typically they have higher pain thresholds because we're a bunch of wimps, right? Your body is built for two things, protection and provision, fighting and work. And yet the average man today thinks his whole life exists by sitting his bucket on a couch watching television. While his wife takes care of raising the kids and doing everything else and so on and so forth. And you don't tell me that God isn't disappointed with some of the things that go on in the average Christian home today. You must go out there every day and fight against the thorns and thistles to cut out of those weeds, ground to grow a life, a marriage, a family, a ministry, a purpose. And you will not find the strength to do that lingering in childhood. Amen. Too many men use their God-given position as head of their homes to excuse their lack of character and make their own lives easy. That's the child's way, not the man's way. Too many men come home to a young wife and mother who is exhausted from being a mom and they tell her to go take a nap. Don't worry about cleaning the house. You can do it tomorrow. And then they think, I'm such a good husband, aren't I? 
And they think to themselves, well, I worked. Yes, you did. And as a servant leader, you would look at that and say, I am the head of the house and I will work harder so that you don't have to. That's what being a boulder is, not a rose bush. You cannot do this if you continue to act like a child. A real man sees himself as a servant leader, earning the respect of his wife and children by his grit and determination. This is what it means to be grave and mature. Too many men allow the world's perspectives on men to give them an out to absolve themselves from the responsibility to parent their children and leave and love their wives. You know how I know this? Because I work in nursery. Yeah. Some of y'all's kids are bad. They are annoying. I'm sorry. Listen, if you raise your kid to be held constantly and to not be set down and to not play independently, have you ever considered math? There are eight babies and two workers. Do the math. Now, pastor's probably uncomfortable because this is the kind of thing that I think we all think, but we don't say. Now, where does this come from? This comes from the fact that the world has told women that men know nothing about rearing children. And the fact is, God put it in our heads to look at things logically sometimes and say, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work. Mm -mm, No. I remember times in my own life when my daughters, one of my daughters, when they were little, you know, they'd be crying and fussing and stuff like that. And my wife would look at me and say, what should I do? Should I, should I go in there? I mean, you know, and I'd say, no, look, diaper's been changed. The baby's fed. Baby's fine. I remember one night standing by the door and telling my wife, no, you don't go in there. I'm blocking the door. You know what part of being a grave man is? Is knowing when to have a disagreement with your wife. Listen, the average woman today deals with stuff that women didn't deal with 25, 50 years ago. When the Instagram mom is out there criticizing everything that they do, most women are too naturally inclined to give anyway. And here's the irony. Babies will take everything. You know who's supposed to step in and put a stop to it? Who? The husband. It is his job to say, babe, you have given enough. I love you. That child is a terrorist. Just put it in its bed. It's not going to die. You know what proof of this is? I talked about this in Sunday school class. Jay will get a kick out of this. Video monitors. If I was having a baby today and my wife brought home a video monitor, throw that thing right in the garbage. Because the Instagram mom says, wait a minute. You mean you would, have, you would raise a baby without a video monitor? How will you see every movement? How will you hear every little sniffle? You won't, like every human being for thousands of years. You won't hear it. You'll get a good night's sleep. And you know what? Your child will wake up in the morning. It will. Well, the Instagram mom says, you might as well just throw the baby off a cliff. No. 1 Samuel 3.13 tells us, God speaking to, to Eli, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile. And he restrained them not. You know who was responsible for Eli's sons? Not Eli's wife. Who was called by God to restrain Eli's sons? Eli. Most of the time, men, though, we do what we want, which is, oh, wait, you want to hold the baby? Okay, well, I'll go watch TV. Shame on us. 
So lastly, few points here. How can I grow up? If it's not just time, how can I speed up the process? Because let me tell you something, young guys, you don't have time to grow up. You're probably late already. So how can I push myself to grow up and not simply let time expire? First of all, be saved. You're never going to reach spiritual maturity without the Holy Spirit in your life. But I'm going to assume that you're saved. So my next point will be personal prayer and Bible study. I'm not going to spend tons of time on this. But the fact is, nobody's saying you need to read as much of the Bible as Pastor Wally, Joe, or Josh. But you can pick a few verses every day and stick to that no matter what. And you can say, I'm going to do this whether I feel like it or not. Make it three verses. I don't care. Three verses are better than none. Next year, go to five. Fine. Start where you're at, but stick to it. You do what you can, start where you are, but make it a commitment and keep it, and that's how you get tougher. Number two, read books. You could walk into the bookstore, blindfold yourself, spin around three times and point, and if you picked up the book you were pointing at and you read it, you'd come out a more mature person. Guarantee it. There's not a book in there that isn't worth reading. Now, are they all enjoyable? Of course not. I mean, goodness gracious, no. I've heard lots of people say they don't like to read. You know what I would say to you? Too bad. Too bad. Everybody can read something. doesn't matter how old you are. Everybody in here should be reading something. Everybody. Everybody. There's enough different types of books out there. Now, to help on this, I will say, I printed off a sheet of books that I recommend to help you grow up. I only made 30 copies, though, so, you know, if we run out, I'll make more. But if you're interested... There's a bunch of books I recommend that I wrote down here. Number three, maintain friendships with mature people. Amen. Young man, let me ask you a question. And remember, I'm speaking to myself here too, when I was that age. Young man, why are you dumb? Because all your friends are dumb. That's why you're dumb. You have no idea, just like I didn't. You have no idea all the stuff in life you didn't know, but you don't know right now. No clue. You know why? Because all of your friends have the same exact skill set, the same exact mental capacities. Am I saying stop hanging out with people your age? No. Am I saying go hang out at a retirement home? No. I'm saying broaden your circle a little bit. Make some friends. Years ago, Josh Miller confronted me after a soccer game because I lost my temper. And he reminded me that one of the guys on my soccer team was lost. And he said, I'm not sure you should do that because... You know, think about the fact that this guy looks to you. You know what? I was like, hey, thanks, Josh, for telling me this. No, you know what? My pride was hurt. But can I tell you something? It takes gravity and maturity to be a friend like that to somebody. And it takes gravity and maturity to have a friend like that. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. It's not a pleasant process all the time. But the fact is, most of us, we only have friends that tell us what we want to hear. I'm out of time. The last thing I would say is, is, and you can read it yourself, in 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 36, David is standing before Goliath, and he says, I'll kill Goliath. And everybody says, no way. You know, what, you know what David says? He says, I've got nothing in my life to back this up on, but I'll go out there and kill that guy. No, David says, hey, a lion and a bear came, and they took a sheep. I went out there, and I killed them both. And I'll kill this man just like I killed them. Young man, 
It's about time you start killing some lions and bears in your life. You don't do that in Call of Duty or watching television or anything like that. You do that by going out and pushing yourself and tackling difficult obstacles. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse number 5, he talks about the fact that God expects us to be running with horses, but we are tired out because we run with the footmen. We can't beat the footmen, and God says, I need you running with horses. So young man, God's looking to you. You need to seek out difficult challenges and overcome them. Life needs to knock you around a little bit. That's how you grow up. There is no other way. Your wife and kids need you to be mature. Your parents need you. This church needs you. Because Goliath is coming for you, whether you're ready or not. And if you let all the lions and bears pass in your life, Goliath will come to you and he will whip you unlike David. Because the fact is, is that Goliath doesn't wait for us to be ready. And to the older folks here, I'd say the same to you. What lions and bears have you killed lately in your life? Or do you just look at these young guys and think, well, they're not doing anything, shame on them. You know, Caleb was out fighting till he was 85 years old. And we think to ourselves, well, I can coast now. God help us. Shame on us. Pastor Wally.